You're listening to an EWS Fresh Research Unit. Here, a summary and review are made to major scientific articles covering the sports psychology and learning domains. Your host delivers the best models and research experiences in order to enhance your athletic game at several levels. Get in a coffee space and appreciate this one. Hi there, welcome to the second episode of this fresh research series from EWS. As you may not know yet, this rubric serves to bring what we consider of value from the science world and that athletes, coaches or parents can put the information here provided into good use. These are meant to be more extended episodes to dissect a scientific paper or model, always with this goal of resuming it and translating the biggest findings into an accessible and more affordable language. Although we condense the material and we are not here to lay out every detail, we still deliver the juices of it. What I mean by this is that in these fresh research episodes, we provide the essential results and implications for your practice. And also, we give it in a way that serves for each listener to be able to reflect on the content and check if it makes sense on how it applies in his day-to-day -day activities and actions. So, on these first ones we are covering big topics, with in-depth articles that analyze a bunch of studies already made around those same topics. On episode 1, we talked about the optimal theory, a framework that involves both psychological and motor learning aspects, and you can check that out on the link in the description to know how three simple but major components can optimize your sports practice. And on today's episode, I went and read this extensive paper, reviewing the majority of stuff there is on the self-esteem literature, and the link for it is also in the description, and this one is free to read in its integrity. This one comes from the most cited author in the scientific world in the psychology area, named Roy Baumeister, and his work publications have been cited in more than 194,000 articles by other authors. That's how accredited he is, with the title Does High Self-Esteem Cause Better Performance, Interpersonal Success, Happiness or Healthier Lifestyles? And on it, it's presented what they have found by reviewing the results of thousands of rigorous studies that were made relating measures of self-esteem with other several things included on those aspects just mentioned in the title. As the authors say, quote, Our mission was to conduct a thorough review of empirical findings to ascertain whether high self-esteem is in fact a cause of positive or negative outcomes, end quote. But... Why is it important for this efficiently work sport context? It is because there may be some misconceptions regarding self-esteem. For example, it can be easily assumed that building self-esteem by any means lead to better results in many forms, but the matters aren't that clear and simple. A considerable amount of data, as you will see, appears to counter this idea that a higher self-esteem is the best thing to promote in any circumstance. It is clearly important to methodically look at the effects of self-esteem, which of them are positive and bring benefits for performance and which of them are more neutral or negative to it, and such a recognition of patterns would allow a better understanding of just what high self-esteem is good for. 
Well, for sure, it is well worth to read the whole article for an integrated view, but on today's episode we just covered the data that is more associated with physical performance and work performance. At EWS we consider this subject of big relevance for every agent to be informed. This because oftentimes there is this preoccupation of motivating athletes in the best way possible. And as with this self-esteem issue, many times there are efforts being made, thinking up front that they make sense and will improve engagement and performance levels of our players, while they may be functioning in a counterproductive way. In that sense, this one serves to assist on the interrelational aspects that coaches and parents have with the athletes, and the athletes with their teammates, providing alternative healthy ideas for interaction styles. So, without further ado, let's jump into some of the highlights. The first major thing that I should point out is that self-esteem is often much desired because it is thought to cause many other positive outcomes and benefits. And this is an assumption that's critically evaluated in this review by some reasons. I will explain some of those. Second, a common confusion on the sense that high self-esteem improves performance is that people with it may exaggerate their successes and good traits. This means that it's pretty much possible it isn't the self-esteem per se that improves performance in reality, and it is just a perception of oneself that does the job. So we're dealing with a bolstered self-evaluation issue here. Third, correlations between self-esteem and school performance are modest. They don't indicate that there's an increase in grades, and high self-esteem probably is partly the result of good school performance. Also, occupational success may boost self-esteem, rather than the reverse. And related to this, fourth, efforts to boost self-esteem of youngsters have not been shown to improve academic performance and may sometimes be counterproductive. Fifth, High self-esteem has been shown to facilitate persistence after failure. And six, overall, the benefits of high self-esteem fall into two categories, enhanced initiative to do some activity and pleasant feelings. Starting from the basics, on definitions, self-esteem is simply stated as how much value people place on themselves. As the authors say, it is the evaluative component of self-knowledge. High self-esteem refers to a highly favorable global evaluation of the self, low self-esteem refers to an unfavorable definition of the self. Probably you knew this. You probably recognized the idea that circulates that high self-esteem is not only desirable in its own right, but also the central psychological source from which all manner of positive behaviors and outcomes could spring. Similarly, People easily embraced the idea that low self-esteem lies at the root of individual and thus societal problems and dysfunctions, while having obvious implications for interventions on both the individual and the societal level. Some researchers, some decades ago, thought that self-esteem has profound consequences for every aspect of our existence, and even more pointedly, they quote, cannot think of a single psychological problem, from anxiety and depression to fear of intimacy or of success to child molestation that is not traceable to the problem of low self-esteem. This is nowadays debatable and we will not enter so much on those complicated issues, because 
This led to a self-esteem movement and politics in America, and the assumptions and goals they departed for the majority of projects were not translated and verified afterwards in reality. And having this said, a first thing to mark here is that self-esteem and its impacts is a matter hard to analyze because of three major reasons. One, self-esteem is pretty much a relative construct. The levels researchers pull up are gathered majorly by self-report questionnaires. And easily from such a thing, we can find a more narcissistic person, for example, bolstering herself. And on the other hand, a more depressed person in that moment with more negative views about herself. Two, it's very hard to find relations of causation. There are some correlations out there, but even those are a bit inconsistent. This is an important issue because for those who don't know, correlation is what says two different phenomena are associated somehow, but it doesn't indicate the direction of it. For example, we may say that A is positively correlated with B, meaning when one gets bigger, the other goes bigger too, but we can't say that A is what leads to B. So there is very few data on this causation side, and the ones that exist are very small. And three, as I slightly pointed out before, there might have been political interests associated with self-esteem research and the implementation of programs in schools and companies that may have biased some studies. But I will not comment more on this aspect as it isn't the focus for here. Overall, we can see that this is not only a hard thing to measure, but also it's very difficult to understand which elements are associated and how are their impacts. For example, the programs and attempts to promote self-esteem with the premise that it would be a good and wise thing to do don't seem to lead to any considerable benefits. This may be a demonstration that these attempts or programs aren't effective, or it could be a sign that the theoretical assumption was wrong. Still, the authors follow the clear hypothesis. They retain that global self-esteem causes desirable, adaptive and beneficial behaviors. And despite being open for discussion this year, it's more accessible to work with this. It is simpler and testable. Moreover, there have also been sufficient methodological advances in study design and statistical analysis that warrant a fresh look at the evidence obtained several years ago. Anyway, following on to some general results and conclusions in this extensive literature review. First, regarding concrete task performance, in 2002, a couple of investigators said students solve problems under varying levels of challenge and performance pressure. There was no effect of self-esteem on any of the performance measures here. On an examination of performance at a video game that was presented as a test of nonverbal intelligence, Across multiple studies, there was essentially no effect of self-esteem on performance here also. The control conditions typically showed no difference in performance as a function of self-esteem, whereas ego threat in the form of critical feedback on a prior test caused people with high self-esteem to perform worse than those with low self-esteem. In contrast, on another study, People with high self-esteem performed better than those with low self-esteem on an anagram test when participants were first asked to write explanations for a hypothetical failure. There were no self-esteem differences when participants first wrote the explanations for a hypothetical success or in a control condition. Thus, 
This suggests that when the prospect of a possible failure is salient, higher levels of self-esteem may benefit task performance. In general, though, self-esteem seems to have little or no direct relationship to task performance. So, in respect of self-esteem having direct beneficial effects on performance somehow or not, the most significant finding, but still not robust, is that high self-esteem has value in propelling people to persist longer in the face of failure at least when there is no viable alternative task or goal to pursue, and when no cues suggest that persistence is not a good strategy. Following on this, high self-esteem is also associated with knowing when to quit, the sensible choice. So, this might be an indication that in performance settings, people with high self-esteem appear to use better self-regulation strategies than low self-esteem people. Another thing is that increases and decreases in self-esteem generally bring strong emotional reactions. Moreover, these fluctuations are often coincident with major successes and failures in life, so here the hypothesis is raised that self-esteem may have indirect effects, being other emotional components that are mediators and better determine the outcomes obtained by people. And let's not forget... There's also a certain human tendency on some individuals for a preference to learning good things about themselves, of finding evidence to prove one's qualities and disprove one's flaws. And that search is often accompanied by biases. But this doesn't dismantle possible effects that take place anyways. Well, introducing here the Pygmalion effect. This wouldn't be a proper talk about self-esteem without referencing the Pygmalion effect. Long story short, it showed that teachers' false unfounded beliefs about their students later became objective, verifiable realities in the performance of those students. In the same way, it is quite plausible that either high or low self-esteem, even if initially false, may generate a self-fulfilling prophecy and bring about changes in the objective reality of the self and its world. In the end, Despite people assuming that higher self-esteem would be an awesome thing to have in achievement contexts, this big work conducted by Baumeister and colleagues have not found evidence that boosting self-esteem, either by therapeutic interventions or school programs, causes concrete benefits on those same areas, with the exception of high self-esteem facilitating that persistence after failure. This self-esteem conversation, on a wide level, touches on the topic of defense mechanisms. Without entering here in a discussion about that, which is a whole thematic in human psychology, defense mechanisms may serve as strategies to bolster self-esteem, functions of protecting it or enhancing it. But the desire to feel good about oneself is certainly not the only self-related motive at play. For example, having to cope with reality people are also motivated to perceive themselves accurately. From here, admitting awareness of their undesirable characteristics may certainly be a step to actualize and become closer of surviving or thriving. And it's mainly here that goes the relevance of this episode for coaches, parents and athletes for that matter. On the importance of looking to our skill levels and the way we approach the people with those, what I mean by this is that we should pay attention to the style of feedback we employ and care for each player's sensibility regarding those. In other words, sometimes coaches shout out to players criticizing some bad play. 
Sometimes coaches praise very much some good play executed. All these with the intent of stimulating the player and ultimately get the team to play better to obtain better results, of course. And I'm not putting a positive or negative judgment on this. Maybe the former approach end up to have a good impact in a player and not in the other. And regarding the second approach, giving constant praising, maybe it works to improve a player's confidence, but maybe it is counterproductive for another whom gets entitled and cockish, which may lead to him not making good efforts and decisions in the future. EWS talked about praising styles before, but we keep stressing on this, as the implications are strong. If a coach keeps giving indiscriminate compliments that may reinforce a view of a player being capable of doing or achieving something due to innate abilities, then it will be promoting possible narcissistic attitudes on that same player. More envy on others, and less resilience and less focus on the qualities around effort. This style of praising for results and innate abilities can have significant and desirable consequences that go even beyond inappropriate or dismissive behaviors like this. It can lead to a lower motivation, to avoidance attitudes, and even a more ineffective learning that can happen, because the individual will probably enter a state of not needing to change or improve at some level, because he is already entitled and superb, you know. And plus, excuse me for this little rant, but by following on the assumption that of knowing all, which may be a reflection of that astronomical self-esteem like I'm stellar, very good because I dribbled and scored and know it all. And when this same type of player is confronted with mistakes or failure, he will probably arrange excuses and will not find ways to correct and adjust for that not to happen again or arrange new alternative better ideas. Well, returning more exactly to the topic of self-esteem, as I said earlier, as well as the authors, we are dealing here with a matter of perception more than reality itself. We may say self-esteem is associated to the beliefs a person has about her intelligence and attractiveness, for example, when it doesn't necessarily say anything about whether the person is actually intelligent and attractive. Beyond that, it is more accurate to say that self-esteem is the resulting feelings that the person gets from how she evaluates and how much she values those characteristics and the things that they bring in her life. Closing on these interesting considerations, before entering on the quotations section, Unless this is a critical component to address, we don't know for sure. However, at the end of the day, the attempt is to discover the importance of self-esteem, meaning whether people's beliefs about themselves have important consequences regardless of what the underlying realities are. In more simple terms, as the authors say, there would have to be benefits that derive from believing that one is intelligent regardless of whether one is actually intelligent. And for that, the data continues inconclusive. Anyway, self-esteem shouldn't be dismissed as trivial. We know for sure that it can have an impact on the development of one's choices, thoughts and life events, and in turn be impacted by those. Beliefs and actions can be shaped by it, and consequently social realities are shaped too. Entering the quotation section of this fresh research unit from the actual article, 
Regarding the difficulties and reservations from the authors, quote, self-esteem does not carry any definitional requirement of accuracy whatsoever. Thus, high self-esteem may refer to an accurate, justified, balanced appreciation of one's worth as a person and one's successes and competences, by the way, but it can also refer to an inflated, arrogant, grandiose, unwarranted sense of conceited superiority over others. By the same token, low self-esteem can be either an accurate, well-founded understanding of one's shortcomings as a person, or a distorted, even pathological sense of insecurity and inferiority. It is more of a perception rather than a reality." End quote. Regarding that eminent issue around correlation versus causation with self-esteem, quote, Subjective experience creates the impression that self-esteem rises when one wins a contest, garners an award, solves a problem, or gains acceptance to a social group, and that it fails with corresponding failures. This pervasive correlation may well strengthen the impression that one's level of self-esteem is not just the outcome, but indeed the cause of life's major successes and failures." End quote. To close off the whole discussion around the implications of self-esteem, quote, Our findings do not support continued widespread efforts to boost self-esteem in the hope that it will by itself foster improved outcomes. In view of the heterogeneity of high self-esteem, indiscriminate praise might just as easily promote narcissism, with its less desirable consequences. Instead, we recommend using praise to boost self-esteem as a reward for socially desirable behavior and self-improvement. End quote. And an extra here, regarding relationships and some comparisons made there. Quote, People high in self-esteem claim to be more likable and attractive, to have better relationships and to make better impressions on others than people with low self-esteem. But objective measures disconfirm most of these beliefs. Narcissists are charming at first, but tend to alienate others eventually. Self-esteem has not been shown to predict the quality or duration of relationships. End quote. Before ending up on some important notes for you as an athlete or coach, let me say that indeed this article is extensive. I must remind again that this article is very well built, as it starts by explaining the reasons for studying self-esteem, why it is important and appealing, the history of its movement and attempts in America, and of course, the findings of the results in diverse areas of life that were studied along self-esteem levels. They talk about other related topics and point for studies and associations between self-esteem and happiness, leadership, violence and delinquency, other risky behaviors, and more so, they are careful with words and conclusions and try to differentiate between high self-esteem and narcissism and other similar concepts. If you want to check on that, I will leave the link in the description. Well, I just wanted to talk here about what the data has shown, and not shown, by the way, and we are looking simply at the implications of a higher or lower self-esteem, and as you have noticed, this is a more complex subject. We could be talking about the roots of it, of another constructs that are mixed up with it, and another thing that wasn't covered here, and is very much relevant, is the frailty of self-esteem in an individual. In other words, the degree of stability it has regarding different circumstances.
If a person has a more fragile self-esteem, let's say, it's likely that she will often avoid being confronted, whether it will be confronted with a challenging task that ultimately has the potential of improvement or confronted with some harsh but truthful feedback from where she could learn, this inclination to avoidance is associated with the protection of the ego, of that fragile self-esteem. This is related to what is talked about in the post of the week number 4, on EWS episode number 17, and there we reference a piece of the interview of Tom Bilio for Valuetainment, the channel of YouTube, where he was talking about a valuable approach on how to receive criticism. This is a crucial matter that EWS can address on another occasion, on how to develop a more robust perception of value of oneself, and from there, being both more open and assertive in order to rip out the best from one's skills and from the professional environment one is. But still, on another level, probably a wiser approach would be to cultivate since early ages a more secure sense of self-worth through good education practices. Having more compassionate interactions, for example. Not making a big deal out of mistakes or inabilities of children. Again, not praising too much or punishing from results obtained. Having an unconditional positive regard instead for the person and empathizing with their human needs. All these are ingredients for that establishment of a more secure self-worth. And going beyond that in our adult life, instead of relying on feeling good and safe and proud, or searching for those, all the time, maybe a wiser alternative would be to find ways of being capable of guiding our own behavior through worthy values that are carefully picked and idealized by you and having a worth ethic that is congruent with those. Again, these are in and on themselves possible topics to engage in further conversations. If you're interested on that, I recommend to subscribe to the podcast. Here you can choose and listen to the other five rubrics we have, and I specially advise the interviews, where we invite people who are experts in their fields and dive deeper on topics related with the optimizations of sports performance and healthy living, always explaining the psychology behind the processes that can help or hinder those same goals of optimizing. Meanwhile, what did you think of this fresh research unit? You can leave any further questions anytime at ewsport.eu and on social media. And we ask you, as a coach, any idea that popped up for something you want to promote more on your athletes? Anything that you will reduce on the way you communicate? We would love to hear more opinions and feedback on this topic of self-esteem. And if you found this informative, please consider subscribing for more and share with who may benefit from it. Until next time, level up your game and take care. You've listened to a fresh research unit. If you want further reviews about this one, go over the original post for more. You can also enter the discussion by commenting or contacting the team at ewsport.eu. See you on the next one.